I don't think we have a choice. I think this is the only way that we can do this and survive. Whenever we lay out this approach, we're tying everything back to strategic objectives. What does management want to do with their organization? You know, if you're in the business of selling something, then all of your objectives tend to be around how do we sell something? And if audit is not looking at that in particular, then we're wasting our time. And anything that we're doing that's not focused on what matters to management and those highest risks to them achieving their goals right now, then we're completely missing the picture. And I don't think there's any other way that we can do this. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I'm thrilled to have with me Tony DeRoche. Tony has recently written a book that we're going to talk about, and he is going to come to us from a different angle than the legal or compliance professional that I am. So we are going to go and explore the world of audit. Toby, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. No, thank you for having me. This is really fun. So could you tell us a little bit about your professional background, Toby? Yes, so my background is all internal audit. I spent over 17 years in the practice so far. So I started off in a Fortune 100 in their audit department, then spent 10 years in consulting, where I got to work with literally hundreds of other organizations. And that's where you really learn how other people audit. And you get to learn a lot of best practices really fast. It's trial by fire in consulting. And now actually back in audit. So what's your current role, Toby? So right now I'm in, I wear a bunch of hats. So right now I'm, I'm doing SOX compliance work with Verizon and doing some changes on their program, bringing some things up to speed and making things even more modern. And then on the side, I have my own organization, my own company, where I do trainings and help people do things like becoming agile. So I'm from Houston. Mm-hmm. And so I lived through the Enron scandal and the response of Sarbanes-Oxley. So I'm always intrigued by SOX practitioners and how some people believe SOX is even more relevant today than it was in 2002 and when it was first passed and then it was implemented in, I think, 04 or 05. So I may have a question near the end about your experience with SOX, but I wanted to take up the phrase you use because I found it incredibly interesting, and that is the agile audit. Could you start off by telling us what your definition of that is? So, yeah. Keep it really simple. It's auditing the things that matter most right now. That's my easy kind of go-to working definition. Really what we're doing is it's an iterative approach. We're saying, so here's everything that I could audit, but here's what's most important to the organization today. And we're going to go through the entire audit lifecycle in the course of one quarter, everything from start to finish so that I'm giving you, like let's say you're in the audit committee or the board, and you've got questions about how things are going in the organization, but you need answers right now. You can't wait till the end of the year to find stuff out. So we're taking everything and compressing it down so that I'm giving you the answers to your questions all the time. It's this continual cycle of always giving you the answers to what's the most burning question you have related to like risk and control in your organization today. Toby, how closely is the agile audit concept tied to the risk assessment? It's hand in hand. The way we actually go about doing things now. So if you think about your risk assessment, Traditionally, we would do like a year-long thing. We'd say at the end of the year, I'm going to look at a risk assessment and plan out the next 12 months. But I can't tell you what's going to happen three months from now. We just lived through this pandemic where everything got tossed up in the air constantly. 
And it's still happening, right? We still get constant just upheaval. And so when we look out and we can say, well, I can at best tell you where we're going to be three months from now. So we're in this state where we're doing a risk assessment pretty regularly, at least every quarter. And a lot of groups have moved to a near continuous risk assessment. We're using that assessment now to feed directly into the plan so that there's really no separation between the two anymore. It's not like I do a risk assessment and then go through a big planning effort. The two combine to become one big entity. So tell me in June of 2020, the Department of Justice released a document entitled The Update to the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs. And in that document, they advocated exactly what you've just articulated. Yep. The companies moved to a much more not robust risk assessment, but more towards a continuous risk assessment, because as you correctly noted, our all of our risks changed in multiple ways during the pandemic, and that's only continued mm-hmm. post-pandemic if we're in that phase now. So what I wanted to ask you is, my view of auditors is that you guys tend to be very deliberative. Mm-hmm. You put a plan in place, you execute on that plan, you don't really speed up beyond whatever your audit speed is. And it strikes me that the concept of the agile audit, one quarter, the three months, the 90 days, that's very different than I typically hear from or heard from internal auditors when I was Mm -hmm. in the corporate world. Yeah, that's the notion I'm trying to blow up. So the idea that we came up with a plan and we measure success, whether or not we did the plan makes no sense. And that's what most of us were doing. You know, you'd you'd see these, these decks that would go off to audit committees and they were all about tracking to the plan. Did we get it done or not? And you know, when we got it done, we'd pat ourselves on the back and say, keep going, like we did a great job. And we would give them things like, hey, here's some of the issues I found. Nobody cares about any of that stuff. Nobody cares if you got the plan done, if the plan was wrong. If it wasn't focusing on what mattered, it was irrelevant. Or if you found a bunch of issues, but they were on a bunch of low risk things that no one actually was worried about, then you wasted everybody's time. And it's not that it's not important to find this stuff, great if you find it, but somebody else could have done that. We should be focusing, if we're the professional auditors, we're the top of the field, we should be focusing on the things that are the highest risk and only those things. Because that's where, you know, if we start thinking about our mandate as audit, it's for us to support management strategic objectives. It's help them get there, point out the things that can get in the way and determine if those things were well mitigated. If we're not doing that, we're not doing our jobs. You mentioned the term audit plan, and is mm-hmm. an audit plan critical in the agile audit concept? You know, it's a hard question. It is and it isn't. An audit plan is like a main communication tool. It's where we tell everybody what we're doing. And so if I'm trying to tell the board, here's what we're working on this quarter, this is how we do it. We give them our plan. Where it's hard to answer that question is because traditional audit planning is not where we're going to go with this. In a traditional plan, you spend a lot of time saying, I'm going to go out to the accounting department and I'm going to dedicate eight weeks to the accounting department. Here's my team of four people and they're going to be on this thing for this many hours. And our whole planning effort might have been around like, here's the traditional areas I want to look at. Here's an audit plan I want you to execute. Here's a program to go and check off some procedures that you did. That concept is gone. And why I say this is back to that connection to the risk assessment. If your risk assessment was truly risk-based, meaning it's like a listing of risks, and that's the basis of the assessment, and I'm going through and I'm trying to figure out which of those risks matter most and where I'm going to go and figure out where the controls are, test the controls, do all of my work, that is basically the plan. It's the prioritized listing of risk from top to bottom. And the idea that I'm even saying, so we've got a quarter, it's not like I can say, well, I've got one quarter to get through 100 risks. 
or a quarter to get through 10 risks. It's just go down that list and do the work because no matter what then, we've looked at the most important things to management. From top to bottom, we prioritize the list. And wherever we end, that can feed right into the next quarter or it might get reshuffled depending on how things turn out. One of the other concepts that the Department of Justice put forward in that document I mentioned was the concept of from risk assessment to continuous monitoring to continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. And it strikes me, or really two thoughts around that formulation. Number one, you're talking about moving auditing to the speed of monitoring almost. And number two, what I just think I heard you say was, let's use our skilled resources of audit to audit those things that are the highest risk and the lower hanging fruit we might be able to handle via monitoring so that we have a much more holistic and comprehensive view of all of our risk. Would that be a fair assessment? It is, yeah. I don't know how many people have really gotten into this concept of combined assurance, where we talk about all of the assurance players in an org. So you've got your internal audit folks are in there, we're typically that third line of defense, but then you've got all those second line groups, right? You got the compliance teams, the ERM groups, all those other people that are doing similar work to us. And we've got the first line, we've got management. They're doing their own assessments and some of their own work. And it's when you look at all of those things holistically, that's your governance program, your whole assurance program. We look at that and we say, so what are the areas that audit should be doing the most good? Where are the areas that are maybe the most complex or involve something that people haven't really dealt with before? And go and focus on that. It might be something else that those compliance teams are already looking at. Well, great. That's covered. Don't do it. Let them do their part. Rely on their work if you can. Same thing with management groups. Some of those lower risk areas, we can call them out and say, it would be really a good idea if you guys went and looked at this because we're not, but someone should. And so then you get this bigger picture where everybody's playing in the same field. How do you get that holistic approach? Is it at the board level audit committee where someone is looking at not simply the totality of our risk, but how we're reviewing that risk and how we're bringing to bear the different corporate resources in an efficient, cost-effective manner based upon the risk. It plays out differently in different groups. In the last, say, five years, I've worked with a lot of audit departments that led the charge because the IIA did come out with some guidance on these things. They revised standard 2050 on reliance, where they focused in on the fact that it could be other internal players. Because we used to talk about reliance a lot with our external audit teams, but this brought it more in-house and said, so you can look at the other assurance and consulting providers in-house. And that sort of opened the door to say, I can go talk to my ERM team and see where they're doing special projects and rely on that work. And so I've had a lot of audit teams that took that on and led that charge, but it it does bubble up to the the highest level because everybody has to be on the same page. We have to be sharing information across with each other. Someone has to put together some kind of mapping to show how everything is being played out from a risk perspective. And that tends to be somebody who would be at that highest level, like at the board. Could a gap assessment around internal controls fit into an agile audit as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Anywhere where we have a gap, that's a risk. You know, that's an unmitigated risk. One of the insights that I had not previously heard that I got from doing a little research to prepare for this podcast was there's a difference between communicating results and reporting results. And that I wanted to ask you, what's the difference and what do you advocate in whatever formats used to discuss mm-hmm. findings? Yeah, I spent a lot of time talking about this. It's one of my favorite topics. I hate audit reports. I hate them with a passion. I've seen too many in my life. 
you start to get into some of these auto reports and they're 30, 40 pages long and no one's reading it at all. <laughs> you get into closing meetings and we do the worst thing possible. We take that report that's so long and then we read it to people. And we, I don't know why we do this. I don't know that messed up notion that we are, we're giving the team exposure or something, but that's not what it is because nobody remembers that meeting at all. We're not actually doing any communication. We're just regurgitating facts. And a much more effective way of getting the, the information across is to make it more digestible. And so if we can get it down to a page or two, something more of an infographic, less of a report, something that actually tells them what we found, something that's much more visual in nature because people are gonna look at it and immediately see, oh, this is what they found. You can tell somebody that we had 12 of our, of our employees had access to whatever system, but they no longer work here and it should have been removed, but they weren't. You can write a big paragraph about that, or you can put one little pie chart that shows how many were inappropriate out of the total and be done with it. And that's something that's much more impactful because people can look at it and immediately know what you're talking about. And so we're, we're in a better position to communicate what we're finding that way. If we go to that more visual, more compact, and more frequent form of reporting, for lack of a better word. I'd now like to turn to your book, Only Audit What Matters, and mm -hmm. start off with why did you write this book and who's the audience for? So audience for this is really anyone who's in audit management, those directors, all the way up to the chief audit executives, people who are trying to figure out how to move their department forward. How do we become better? And we should always be doing that because we're asking everybody else in the organization to do it. So we have to play by the same rules. We should always be in this state of continuous improvement. And this book is really written to help them have that argument. It's to lay out the case for it. Uh, I have another book that I've written as well that was called Agile Audit Transformation and Beyond. It's much more technical in nature. It's sort of the ins and outs of how to do it. This is the argument of we should be doing it because we should be tying our things to strategic objectives. We should be auditing things based on a, a risk assessment that actually looks at risks and not entities. There's a lot of other pieces to this argument that go along with it. And we have to be able to communicate that to the organization before we can do it. I have advocated most of this year after the Russian invasion of Ukraine that business had changed in substantive ways in five key areas. And it was not simply because of the Russian invasion. It just seemed to me that point put an exclamation point on the series of changes we've had, starting with March 15, 2020, when the country was shut down during the pandemic. And that the pandemic it's accelerated changes that were already in place. And the Russian invasion just seemed to put an exclamation on that for me. And what I'm hearing is internal audit is a part of that change. And now that I listen to you and I think about what the Department of Justice has said, and I think about how compliance professionals are changing how they think about risk, how they assess risk, how they manage risk, and boards also are doing the same, it seems to me that now really is the time to have this conversation in the audit profession and really in the broader business community. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I can say that the start of the pandemic was a wake-up call for me because that was a point where you took, it's March. Let's say we made our audit plan based on a risk assessment we did in October. Well, in March, you took that entire plan and you threw it in the trash and you started over because you weren't concerned about the same things. Now you were concerned about business continuity. You were concerned about supply chains. You were supply not worried about how you were going to get all of your employees to work from home. And you've got this expanded footprint of IT. And now you've got a bigger target for all of the hackers to come and get you. And so you had all of these new risks that you weren't thinking about before. And that's where you had to put it into action. 
and we were one quarter in. And you could honestly say that from January to now, I had no idea what was going to happen. And then we looked ahead six months from then, and I had no idea what was going to happen again. And we've been playing that game now for a couple of years where I can't, I can't see three months in advance. It's too far. One of the most prescient comments I heard during the pandemic was along the lines of the following. We moved from disaster recovery to business continuity to business as usual. And mm-hmm. when I hear you say, I can't see what's down the road three months, I almost hear you say, whatever it is, it's going to be business as usual. And we have to respond in that way. So I'm a lawyer, I came out of the corporate legal world, general counsel's office. And I always thought lawyers were the most conservative group in any corporation. <laughs> you were never wrong if you said no. Right behind us in conservative, professionally anyway, seemed to be internal audit. Yeah. And there was a way of doing things that was a tried and true and proven way. And everybody did it. And I alluded to that a little bit earlier. It's a long-winded way of introducing the question of you advocating this change, you and others advocating this change. I was going to ask you about how the book's been received, but I think it's really, as you said, an argument for why we need to consider this change. So how is the discussion around this change going within your profession and are you starting to see some inroads? Yeah, there's some groups that are still resistant. We are the most risk-averse group on earth. Internal auditors as a whole, we believe that risk is something to be mitigated out out of existence. And we can't, and that hurts, you know, it's like a personal failure when I can't get rid of everything. But the book is really being well-received. The whole idea of it is being well-received. I can say that for the last couple of years, I've had hundreds of conversations with people who are already on this path. They've already started to make some of these changes. And because of who we are, the nature of who we are, we're taking these small incremental steps. You know, we're not just going to take a big bang and just jump in and everything is now agile. We're taking it in pieces and we're making the right changes along the way. I think the places where people struggle the most is really within those bigger organizations where they have a lot of regulators, because a lot of those regulators are even slower to move than we were. And they're still looking within banking. They're looking for three-year plans. They're still looking for energy coverage. And so what I'm even seeing from some of those big banks is they're saying, that's great. And they still do that. Then they carve out a piece of their department and they make that a risk-based group and they follow an agile process because they're able to then get into that mindset that I need to focus on what matters now and not look three years ahead just at coverage. I have to take a more proactive approach. You know, that's really interesting because I come out of the anti-corruption compliance world and there our regulators are the Department of Justice on the criminal side and the Securities Exchange Commission on the civil side. And it's really the DOJ who have led this discussion around risk assessment to continuous monitoring to continuous improvement and to really move to continuous risk assessment. So I see now that regulator is really leading that discussion within our industry. Let me ask, looking down the road, I used to say looking down the road to 2025, but now I say mm-hmm. looks down the road to 2030. You really see this type of approach as something that will take hold and companies will be able to use some or most or even all of the concept that you've been trying to articulate to your colleagues? I don't think we have a choice. I think this is the only way that we can do this and survive. Whenever we lay out this approach, we're tying everything back to strategic objectives. What does management want to do with their organization? You know, if you're in the business of selling something, then all of your objectives tend to be around how do we sell something? And if audit is not looking at that, in particular, then we're wasting our time. And anything that we're doing that's not focused on what matters to management and those highest risks to them achieving their goals right now, then we're completely missing the picture. And I don't think there's any other way that we can do this. 
It also strikes me is when I first read your book and then uh, researched some of the other things you have put together, I thought this was a new approach to auditing. Essentially, you came up with. But now listening to you, it seems to me you have taken the business model of corporate America, adapted it to current circumstances in the marketplace. We talked about the pandemic. We talked about the Mm -hmm. Russian invasion and that it's now 90 days till the next thing. And you're really responding to market conditions. Would that be fair? That's absolutely it. Yeah. Because we have to, right? We have to look at the geopolitical scene. We have to look at the market. We have to look at everything that's going on out there and always ask, how does that impact me at work? How would that derail my company? You talked about the Russian invasion. That kicked off a whole series of conversations around fuel. And if you work in any organization, there's probably something that hits you there too. The electricity bill went up, if nothing else. But if you're in something logistics, that was a major part of your, your business. And all of these questions, no matter what they are, there's always some piece of it that we have to look back and say, now, how did that just change my job? How did that hit my company? Until we can answer that question, nothing else really mattered. Toby, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, your book, or really any Mm -hmm. of the concepts around Agile Audit that you've talked about, what would be the best place for them to begin? Yeah, look me up on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. I have links off to everything there. If you want to check out my website, you can go to agileaudittransformations.com. There we've got links off to the book. We've got a lot of Q&A, a lot of other blogs and things that have been collected Try to make it into a one-stop shop for everything Agile Audit. I didn't want to put any extra pressure on you when we started this podcast, Mm -hmm. but I have two criteria for how I judge a podcast. Number one, how much did I learn? And number two, how much fun did I have? Mm -hmm. You hit 11 on both. Toby, this has really been great. I hope that we can continue this conversation. Or as I say, I hope I can get your people to talk to my people because the concept you are talking about, that is directly what the Department of Justice is telling compliance Mm -hmm. professionals to utilize. So uh, keep it up. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate it. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.